I'm excited to get started on season two of my podcast, Leadership Superpowered. My first guest this season is Karen Faith, CEO and founder of Others Unlimited, and we have a really interesting conversation about the outcomes you can expect in your business if you just practice and understand what empathy means and how to use it in a way that benefits everyone. Let's jump in. Hey, Karen Faith, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So Karen Faith is the founder of Others Unlimited and uh, has some great thoughts in, in her practice talking about how companies can um, uh, get better at really living empathy and not just doing things. Mm-hmm. And so maybe for starters, um, can you talk a little bit about what this uh, what this venture is and what you hope to accomplish with, with customers and clients? Sure. Um, yeah, as you said, I'm an empathy trainer whose name is Karen, which is its own joke. And I um, started in ethnography. I was a I was a qualitative researcher who followed people around with their consent um, and tried to observe and listen and understand them as well as I could. And what I've done is created a curriculum to train civilians in those kinds of observational skills so that we can start to understand one another better. And it turns out those skills are valuable to everything that we do. So Others Unlimited is a is a company focused on training empathy skills for internal work as collaborators and communicators and external work as researchers and understanders of our audience. Okay. And I feel like uh, it's one of those topics that um, everybody wants to embrace and then they, they take a pause and go, okay, but what exactly are we going to be a doing and B, what are we going to get out of it? And so I pose to you, like, what are, what are three outcomes that maybe like a, you know, more, um, I don't know, uh, someone that maybe doesn't understand what to get out of this would would uh, be able to accomplish. And you came up with three really good ones, and yeah. I'm curious if you want to like go into kind of what your what your thinking was. If I when I posed that kind of question to you, it's like, oh gosh, now I got to kind of think of how this this works in this setting. I love what you came up with. I'm just curious, what was your thought process in coming up with how those, those yeah, three came to be? Before I share them, I think it's important to also define that when I'm talking about empathy, I'm not talking about a feeling of compassion for someone who's suffering. I think a lot of us understand empathy in this kind of emotional way that it's a that's a kind of way of showing kindness and um, that is indeed related to empathy but empathy as I'm practicing it and talking about it is simply the skill of perspective taking it's a skill of stepping out of your own perspective and seeing and understanding things from another point of view so um, there are three big things that can change in a business when you start practicing empathy together and um, the first one is that uh, there are much many fewer meetings and shorter meetings. Um, I had a had a client actually reach out to me recently. Uh, he shared a recording with me of a meeting that they'd had internally. Um, to, he asked for my help in kind of teasing out what was going wrong. And what I heard was a room full of men who were basically all saying to one, one another, no, you don't understand. You know, there's this kind of, uh, when we're focused on expressing our point of view rather than focused on discovering other points of view, we can get caught in these loops of, seeking affirmation or agreement that never comes. Um, mm-hmm. But when in a culture of skilled listeners, those things are really rare. Circular meetings don't really happen. It takes a little bit more time to understand one another at first, but then those results are cumulative and it doesn't take as much time. And then we really understand what other, where other people are coming from and what their needs and perspectives are. So I don't know if this is a fair question, but in having thought about like that, that event of the company meeting, mm-hmm. um, why do you think, many meetings are called and then 
in the future, if there are fewer meetings, when would be a good time for skilled listeners who understand this, this uh, idea of, of, of empathy? Why would they have a meeting? Why would skilled listeners have a meeting? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that's a multifaceted question, Mike. So I'm a multifaceted asker. Skilled listening is valuable for all meetings. All meetings are not valuable. But um, I think that you asked first what the point of a meeting would be. And I think that most people, when they have uh, a meeting, that what they want is to create alignment. They want to make sure everyone's on the same page. They want to make sure that we're all in agreement about what we're going to do next. And um, and sometimes that meeting is more of a presentation. I'm just going to tell it to all of you. And sometimes it's more of um, information gathering meeting where we want to hear from all of you. Those are different intentions for meetings. But mm-hmm. in either case, skilled listeners are are going to be able to get more out of that. And they're going to come away with a lot more insight and and direction as far as knowing what to do next. No, it's really good because I, I know that one of the things I, I always try to that I think the, the my short version of this from before we talked mm-hmm. about it is that old line about, you know, this is a meeting that could have been an email. Yes. Um, and it, it's, you know, sort of pointlessly getting together to talk about something you know at, at, at infinitum until you uh, kind of just reach the end of the time period uh-huh. um, and trying to be deliberate about meetings is something I, I definitely try to do. And um, and in them try to be an active listener, try to understand what the other person is talking about. Um, but I have been in those meetings where it's sort of an agenda and it's a presentation and it feels like I've been, I've been cheated out of my participation in that meeting. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that you probably are cheated out of your participation in that meeting, but it's a, in that case, I mean, maybe, maybe it could have been an email. And I think that that is maybe on the part of the presenter, um, an oversight and not, gathering input before just sharing their own perspective. I mean, it depends. There's, there's a time to present. Surely. Tell me about, um, tell me about the, you don't understand moment. So, um, part of this talk about how to, how to, how to look at, you don't understand moments through the lens of how you think about empathy. Yeah. I think that no, you don't understand is, um, I think about, you know, people with OCD often, well, I learned that they're uh, like they'll wash their hands 50 times because their brain is not giving them the signal that they've finished it. They just mm. uh, they just don't make whatever that thing is that says you're done now. And so they'll do it over and over and over. I think that when we're in meetings where we're not being heard, um, that's what happens is I'm like, no, you didn't hear me. No, you didn't hear me. No, you didn't hear me mm. because we're not getting that thing back that says, aha, I've been heard. And that's why. Um, when, when we're, when we're listening to each other skillfully, we have the, we have the tools and the ability to say, Hey, this is what I've heard from you. Or this is what, this is how, what you've said has changed my perspective, or this is my thinking now keeping in mind what you've said. And that other person can then feel and know that they've been heard. Um, and it doesn't necessarily always create agreement to be heard, but you, you kind of lessen that repetition of wait, you don't get it. You don't get it. You don't get it. You don't get it. That's really good. So one of the other things you talked about is um, potentially having less drama in the, co- in the company. I'd oh, love yeah, to hear about how, how that happens. Thing number two, um, when, when people begin to understand that their perspective is not ultimate objective truth, when they start to understand that their perspective is one perspective of many perspectives, they are so much better equipped. We are so much better equipped to handle disappointment, handle conflicting points of view, handle conflict and disagreement. And that um, reduces drama by a, uh, a pretty wide margin. And it's also 
this kind of practice helps to level some of the unbalances, uh, unbalanced power dynamics that can that can create drama in the company too, um, by amplifying voices that may not have been adequately heard before. There's um there's a kind of topic on the table right now for a lot of people. Employers are talking about what I've heard called the the great resignation um, that workers who are at home want to stay at home, and employers are worried about losing talent if they ask for a return to the office. Um, it's the conversation has a very strong ultimatum feel right now, which is not for sure. Yeah. A great way to build trust or stability in any relationship. Meanwhile, employers are kind of scrambling to provide these benefits that they're not even sure that their people want or need or will use. And what's going on is that on both sides, they're kind of getting wrong. Um, the, the perspective of the other, like considering that they're getting wrong by not, not really looking at it in a holistic way or in a, in a kind of full circle 360 degree way. And that will benefit a lot by some perspective taking on both parts. And what are some of like the day-to-day, well, like how would, how would you, when you, when you end up working with someone, how does day-to-day life change that you would like see evidence of a change in thinking about this kind of topic? Uh, you know, I think, um, that's actually a good segue to number three. Number three is about empowering people. I think that mm-hmm. I have seen, I mean, how many, how much time have you lost waiting for direction or, or discovering that someone has been waiting for your direction? Right. I think that this is one of the ways that things change really quickly is when a, when a person has the skill to seek out other perspectives, they are empowering themselves. They're educating themselves with enough information to actually make choices. And that's what's required to take action is to know I have, I have done the research. I know, I know all the factors involved. I know what's involved here and I know who to talk to about it. And so now I can move forward. I had, um, early in my career, I had an intern that drove me absolutely batty because he asked me, uh, every single thing to do. He wouldn't, he didn't do anything without me telling him. And, and, you know, an intern without a lot of experience or skill can be really hard to utilize obviously, but that same intern empowered with this skill set of seeking out points of view can, can do a lot of holistic research on the company and processes and come up with some insightful contributions pretty quickly. And that's not just true for interns. That's all the way up the ladder. So, and many middle managers are, are needing to do that in both directions. And that's just a skill set that makes things different all around where people are feeling more empowered and more able to make choices. One of the things um, I picked up, um, I think it was from an HBR article a long time ago, was this um, this idea of when when someone's coming to you with those kinds of questions, one of the one of the ways to get to empower them is to say, well, why don't you go away, come back with like your three best ideas, and then pick pick the one you think is the best one and give me that one, mm-hmm. and most of the time you just never see them again because they do the exercise, mm-hmm. they do the research and they go, actually, I do kind of know this and I think we should do this one. Yeah. And I think I understand what he's trying to do. And so I'm just going to go do it as opposed to going back. And it's like, it's almost like unlocking this hidden superpower of, yes. you know, you really can do this. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, um, I'm discovering that as a business owner right now, <laughs> I, I am not, I'm not that. a natural born entrepreneur. I don't know if anyone is, but I'm finding that I have to just sometimes um, trust that I have the skill to find out the things and then, uh, and then I can do it. Yeah. There are so many things in life that um, from one side of the fence, you think, Oh, they must have this all figured out. And then you get there and you realize nobody knows how to run a business. No one or start a business. No one knows how to be a parent, any of that stuff. You just go do it and you figure out your way. And it's, it's the way that you own. 
Yeah. Um, I'm curious for you, are there any stories maybe anonymized about like a really successful um, kind of implementation of, of using empathy to sort of re rework a company and how they're, how they, how they operate? Yeah. Um, I will try to anonymize, but it's not, it's not a secret actually. I think I can, well, a big giant we'll, health We'll bleep insurance. you out. <laughs> what? We'll, we'll bleep you out. out. So a big giant health insurance provider um, came to uh, my team some time ago to help build a new health insurance brand from the ground up. They wanted to scrap all of their legacy, but they were ready to just like, let's let go of all this stuff that's been holding us back and like build one from scratch from the beginning. And I got to do the ethnography for um, that kind of founded the seminal insights that started the project. And, and I, and of course what we found were all of these emotional factors and psycho-emotional factors, which, um, you know, hadn't really been directly considered by the the team because they were thinking about like, should it be digital or brick and mortar? And it's like, well, there, there, um, there's more than just behavior involved or the reasons for that behavior. And we found, um, that trust was such a big factor that, you know, the, 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 doctor and the patient and the health insurance provider have this triangle relationship and that where mm-hmm. trust is broken in every direction. And what we realize is that in order to, in order to build trust, we had to, we had to return some power to the user. Like this was not a matter of just, um, you know, marketing. We couldn't just message our way into trust. Yeah. We had to actually <laughs> with our actions, give some power to the user. And that involved, um, creating a new role in this relationship, which was um, a, a care advocate. This was a kind of neutral party that the patient could use to get information and have some support and go to if they had complaints or concerns or trust issues in the relationship. And it helped so much. This new brand has um, an unbelievable uh, net promoter score and has, you know, been kind of killing it and breaking records in every category because, which is unheard of for health insurance. Nobody, yeah, nobody's sure. happy with health insurance. And so it was just great to realize that when we, when we got out what the real problem was, we did, uh, we did a really in-depth research where we tried to understand these people in a very human way. And when we built it for them, for their entire humanity, then the relationship looked different. The whole Hmm. The whole company looked different. It had a different structure and then it, it was, it was functioned better and was ultimately much more loved by consumers. A healthcare brand loved by consumers. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Pretty um, cool. When you get, when you get resistance to this idea, what does it sound like? Um, it, it most often sounds like we don't have time. I think that that's one of the biggest ones is folks think they don't have time uh, to talk about feelings. That's one of them. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of perceived as a solely a soft skill or a nice to have, which I think is such a big yeah. mistake. Um, perspective taking is a fundamental to any kind of problem solving, first of all. But then, you know, to say, like, we don't really have time to stop and check in with everybody. These are simple things like um, I used to be a part of a company who you know, just before every meeting, we just do a top of mind check-in very quick, just to ask people mm-hmm. how they're doing, what's going on in their lives, not in the work. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes, you know, we found out really important things and we were able to say, 
hey, let's take some things off of this guy's plate. He's got this other thing going on. And we were able to kind of be more humane about the distribution of tasks. And we were able to understand and keep our pulse on each other in a way that is is ultimately so much more efficient, you know, mm-hmm. because that, that little bit of time that you take to really understand who's who and what's what is going to save so much time and effort down the road and is going to save a lot of, a lot of failures that could be prevented. Yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, you mentioned the, the, the great uh, resignation idea, mm-hmm. but you know, if anything, it's like, if you, if you feel like heard and like, you want to be a part of this community, um, you know, that, that is that company, you'll, you'll stick around and you'll want to figure you'll, you'll want to find, be, you know, an open listener to other people. You want to yeah. find out about them. I feel like the people who never really invest, it's like, <clears throat> they don't, um, they're not sticky in that culture just because they're not, they're not interested. They don't want to share. They don't want to be shared about, et cetera. Yeah. Um, well, so our, our trust is, sorry, our, our trust yeah. has been violated so often. Um, you know, when we share personal things at work and then it and feels unsafe. And I think that, you know, sometimes it can take some time to make sure that it's safe to do that. And, you know, boundaries are important. Boundaries are a real thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and those, I think being patient with our, with ourselves and with our teams and, and those communications is super important too. Let me say this, as, as someone who's uh, studied people for a long time, um, what, what, what's your take on what's different about people and sort of the work work, you know, the, the, the work life and not like work life balance, like your, your, your time at work is different now with being at home and dealing with all the stuff going on. What's, what's the thing employers and teams need to know about that's different from say three years ago or two years ago? I, it's hard to say a one thing. Um, but I can tell you that I was working at a boutique agency last spring when lockdown first happened. And, you know, we were all sent home. It was a pretty big ordeal, but we were also, you know, trying to roll with it, doing our best. Everybody's on zoom all day long for the first time. And one of our, and, and the first thing that we started to talk about was, um, we were seeing each other's homes. We were seeing each other's spaces and folks were kind of like, Oh, look, you know, you know, whatever you have this bookshelf or that kind of plant or your kids calling around. And uh, we met each other's pets and it felt really intimate and we felt like we understood each other. And then one day, um, one of the youngest people on the design team actually on a Slack channel said, um, everybody send share photos of the workstation that you made at home. Cause this was New York city where uh, nobody has enough space to have a full office. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, were, right. we were making offices out of anything. And so then we all sent photos of our workstations from another point of view. And that was mind blowing because oh, that's cool. what you're seeing in the camera is what's behind me. But um, if you were looking from over there, you would see that my computer is on a box with this light and, you know, all these other things. And we started, yeah. you know, and I saw that, oh, he's standing up in his kitchen or like, oh, you're actually in your baby's nursery or, you know, all these other yeah, things. Yeah. And it was such an incredible moment for us to realize that even when we felt like we had gotten closer, we still didn't have the whole picture and understanding what yeah. someone is going through in their home office was uh, so illuminating and helped us all really kind of know what we were going through in another way. And so, it, I mean, it, it works in a literal way, but also in a metaphorical way that no matter what you're seeing, you're not seeing everything. And I think that that's 
the most important thing to remember with when we're when we're managing people or even in any of our relationships. No matter how much a person is revealing to you, they are not revealing everything because it's impossible. There's always more to know. That is really great. Um, Liz, I think it's a great point to end on. Um, thanks for chatting with me today. It's been really fun. Hope Thank to have you on again sometime soon. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's been a treat.